The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Pod Jerky Podcast. Hit it! Hit it! Hit it! Welcome back to another edition of Pod Jerky. I'm your host, Director Awesome, and on today's episode, we're going to talk about wrongful convictions in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Today's guest is from the state of Florida, and her name is Crystal Villarreal, and she is an advocate for the cases that we will be talking about today. Crystal is also an administrator for Donna Hockman's site, CommonwealthCoverUp.com. Welcome to the show, Crystal. Thank you so much. Now, you wanted to come on the podcast and talk about some of these cases that you think have been wrongfully convicted, and you reached out on Facebook in some of the Facebook groups that we both belong to, asking to come on and talk about these cases, and I ended up reaching back out to you. Why don't you just give us a brief explanation of how you got involved with all of this? Well, one day I went to Google something, and it popped up uh, prison pen pals, and I just was curious about it, so I clicked on the first female, which happened to be Donna. I wrote her name down, wrote the state she was in, and I looked up her charges and she was doing life in prison. So later on that night, I'm like, let me look this up. So I Googled it and I happened to start reading and she she had so much evidence posted on her site that I'm like, wow, my heart went out to her because she was a domestic violence victim, which I was too at one point. I felt like I needed to write her and that's how it all started. We're going to take a quick break to help out another podcast. As beginning in the podcast game, we all need to help each other out. So please have a listen and subscribe. Hey y'all, I'm Kyle Brown. And Bailey Ellison. With Real Topics, Real Discussions. If it's a hot topic you want, then a real discussion is what we'll have. We are a dynamic duo ready to dive in and keep it real. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and check out our podcast on Anchor, Sundays at 3 p.m. Tune in. Okay, so we'll get right into the Donna Hawkman case. And I'll just give a bit of a breakdown, I guess, and then I'll let you get into all of the details. Now, she ended up shooting her ex-boyfriend, Dustin Stanley. He was actually physically assaulting her during their whole relationship. He strangled her with his hands uh, and he strangled her with a phone cord. He threatened to kill her son in his sleep. Uh, She reached out to the police quite a few times and nothing was really done because he ended up being a confidential informant for drug dealers uh, with the police. So she ended up taking matters into her own hands and shot him before it could happen again. Do you want to get into this case and everything that's happening and the charges that are against her? Sure. Donna Hockman was a woman and a mother that lived in Rockingham County, Virginia, and she stayed in constant fear. Her boyfriend, Dustin Stanley, and he had multiple arrests for telephone harassment, aggravated assault or assault and battery, several different things, as well as both of his children's mother had restraining orders. Donna had an actual no trespassing order and had filed for a restraining order, which it happened at her home. But due to the fact that Dustin was a paid informant, 
she felt like nobody would do anything because there was 911 calls made over and over, as well as her son calling 911 when Dustin Stanley had actually jumped on one of Donna's male friends and thought that because he was upstairs, his mother was getting beat. Nothing was ever done out of, you know, anytime she called the police, nothing was ever done. And Dustin had always told her that he's one of them and that nothing will be done to him. Because of all the things she went through and him threatening her to kill her and tried to kill her, choked her out many times, has beaten her. There's pictures on her side about, uh, you know, her head where he bashed it into a headboard and nobody would do anything. No matter who she reached out to, it was, un I mean, it was just like she said nothing. Nobody would help her. So Donna went and legally purchased a firearm in her name. And Dustin had also many times she would come home late and he would be lurking around waiting for her to come home. He had broken into her home and she found out when she come in, he's inside the home and told her that she he could always get into her home no matter what. It wasn't an issue. And that she would only leave him in a body bag. So, so they weren't it, living together. No, they weren't living together, but he would stay there until she had found the actual agreement between him and the ATF to be an informant. And that is when she decided, you know, she tried to break up with him in April and get him out of her life because she didn't want the drugs around her children. He just wouldn't leave her alone, no matter what. Okay, now, so she ended up killing Dustin Stanley. She shot him. When this happened, do you know, was it in between, like, physical violence altercation? Or was this just outside of that, where she just wanted to have this happen? He before had just actually, to he had actually, I'm not sure if they were, I, I want to say they were in a physical altercation at that moment, but I'm not positive on that, but... He, they were in her garage, and he he told her at that moment that he was going to kill her son, which was upstairs asleep. And when he went to step in the door of the house from the garage, she shot him. With all the charges that are against Donna, she's spent how long in jail now? She has been in prison for 12 years. She was given life in prison without parole. So she's been in for 12 years. She's been given life in prison without parole. And what were her charges? First degree murder? Her charges were first degree murder and use of a firearm during a felony. Do you think that there's a reason why authorities want her to be in prison? I feel like the prosecutor, Marcia Garst, which is the prosecutor on all these cases and many more that I just have not been able to research more. She uses the same tactics to on high profile cases to secure a conviction. See, like I'm watching a lot of Innocence Files kind of on Netflix because we're still kind of in the quarantine phase and lockdown phase of this whole pandemic. And it seems to be the common theme is that prosecutors will actually just do what they have to do in order to get a victory in the trial. Absolutely. And that seems like Marsha Garst, that's all she does. But she uses the same tactics in every single case. She'll use jailhouse snitches that all kinds of stuff, give them deals, lesser charges, or completely eliminate the charges, which happened in Donna's case. Right. Now, being administrator for Commonwealth Cover-Up, what is the goal for that website? Uh, I think the goal is, one, Donna should be free. I mean, she is even willing to, you know, take a lesser charge because she did take a life. But 
the fact is he had a no trespassing order on that property that was literally signed, I think a month or so before this all happened. And he was in her home and you should be able to defend your home. So I personally, I think it she should just get exonerated on all charges, but also to bring attention to how Marsha Garst, the prosecutor for the Commonwealth of Virginia, has just done these people and gotten away and nobody has done anything about it. Right. And, that, and that's what I was going to say. Do you think that it would be better for her to have taken a lesser charge in this case when all the proof points to things being done, the 911 calls were made, trespassing act was signed, and all of this stuff was done and nothing was done about it. And she took matters into her own hands. Do you think that a lesser charge should have been given to her? And then do they not look at how she would do this like in the future? Was was this something that she was going to do again in the future? Is she a violent offender or a repeat offender that this would hap happen in the uh, future as well? Actually, Donna had never been arrested ever in her life. And it's, I don't think she had any speeding tickets even. She was, you know, a single mother. She had a career. She just, she had never been to jail. She had never done anything like that. I mean, so honestly, my personal opinion is the way things happen. And I know here in Florida, you have the stand your ground law. So you can do that. You know, if somebody comes into your, you can shoot them. I'm not sure about the law about that in Virginia, but me personally, with her having the trespassing order and the multiple calls for 911 and everything, I don't think she should have had any charges, especially with his background. Right. See, where I am, we don't have those laws. I don't I don't think we do. For you guys to have that law there, every state is different, right? Yes. Every state is different. Okay. I mean, if you had somebody trespass into your house, then you have the right to shoot them. But you aren't sure what the, the law is there in Virginia. I'm not sure on that one. I want to say that it's the same. I've seen other people comment that's from there, but I cannot say for sure. Okay. Now, with the website that we're talking about, cover uh, CommonwealthCoverUp.com, the message pretty much just says all of the facts with uh, Hawkman here, Donna Hawkman, just trying to get the message out that she's should be out of jail. What kind of a response are you getting with that website? A lot of people feel very sorry for Donna because, you know, it's not fair, you know, in a lot of people's eyes where she's at. I mean, you're in your own home. You know, you're already scared to death of somebody that has beaten you multiple times, you know, tried to kill you basically by choking you and has told you many times that you'll leave in a body bag. She, he threatened to gut her dogs like a deer. You know, there was multiple things that happened. And like I said, he had a violent past. Um, he had four children with two different women. Both of them had put protective orders against him because of violence. But the reason, see, the jury was not allowed to even hear any of that because Marsha Garst, the prosecutor, filed a lineman act preventing any of his history of violence, domestic violence, any arrest to be spoke of in the trial. So the jury never heard any of that. And I think what? if they would, would have, she would have never been convicted. When prosecutor Marsha Garst filed motion in lineman preventing defendant from mentioning or introducing evidence of Stanley's prior past bad acts or convictions regarding previous domestic violence threats and assaults and his bad behavior. There was 12 different reports with both of his children's mothers having protective orders against him due to domestic violence and one of his children's mothers, Megan Whittington, August 25th, 
they testified at a grand jury hearing, which ended up indicting Donna for the first degree murder charge, that there was never no violence that ever happened between herself and Stanley. And that was used to indict Donna on those first degree murder charges. And three days before Donna's actual trial, Megan Whittington recants the testimony she gave to, to the grand jury, stating there was violence between herself and Dustin Stanley. Also, later on, Donna found out that he was actually court-ordered to Batter's Intervention Program for violently jumping on Megan Whittington, which she has about seven or eight uh, reports, and he had arrests for those. But how would you recant something, you know, say testify in court saying that there was no violent history and you have a protective order against him and you have several charges against him and he's court ordered to go to a better's intervention program, which is for when you beat your spouse and counseling and they have a, a screening. You, you go in before to, to a screening for the better's intervention program and they assess whether you need it or whether you don't. And the person that assessed Justin Stanley and recognized recommended that in court ordered that he needed to go to the batterer's intervention. This is part of her note. He was rated as a dangerous risk and it also stated he experienced extreme rages and blackouts and always minimizes true severity of his actions. I think if all those issues combined was heard by the jury, it would have been a different outcome on Donna's behalf for her trial. Well, I mean, in a trial, they should be aware of the the past convictions of whoever's on trial there. So how was that allowed to be taken out of this specific trial? Um, she filed a motion for it and Judge Lane, which was the judge that ended, you know, that was actually, I think, her judge for the trial, he approved it. It's called a Lehman Act, something like that. And it, you are not allowed to, the defendant is not allowed nor their attorney to speak about whatever is in that order. And it specifically said that they were not allowed to speak on Dustin Stanley's previous domestic violence, history, arrest, anything. Now, when, when uh, Donna Hockman gets a life sentence what does life sentence mean over there um she'll never get out that she she'll die in prison life without parole she'll never have the possibility of parole even though i don't believe virginia does parole anymore but i'm not certain see our life sentence here is 25 years that's a life sentence uh, so right. we would be out in 25 years if anything like this were to happen but over there it is she will die in jail unless has she exhausted all of her appeals she has and what is actually ha there's so much corruption in the story she had actually went to file habeas corpus and her mother went to take it up there and matthew engel which is the actual director of the innocence project the legal director in virginia the mother had to call him and get and let him know that the lady at the courthouse kept refusing for her to file on donna's behalf so matthew engel called up there and there's a letter on her site also of you know saying all this stuff by Matthew Engel that she went back up there and they told her that she was too late which in reality she had another month and something but they had also told said by phone that Judge Lane said don't waste your time well that's what I was going to kind of follow up with before you got into that was if she's looked into the innocence project uh, I see that they're doing a lot of cases in the U.S. right now regarding I guess innocent people that are in jail or people that shouldn't be in jail based off of DNA evidence and based off of other evidence that wasn't presented in the cases that they had already. And I was just going to see if that they had reached out to the Innocence Project because they are exonerating quite a few people in the system right now just due to the fact that there wasn't a fair 
trial? Um, she has, but the only thing with the Innocence Project, and I've reached out to domestic violence that help, you know, write up and help with uh, attorney's fees. It's called DBLEAP is what it was. But they, I mean, basically, you have to be not guilty of anything. Like, you didn't do none of it. And Donna can't say that she didn't shoot him because she did. So that's what right. makes it hard there. There is a letter also on Donna's site from her attorney, Bruce Albertson, which was her public defender, which also, as soon as Marsha Garst, the Commonwealth prosecutor, secured a conviction on Donna, he became a, a circuit judge, stating how he was not able to bring documents in and let her have them and take them into the jail due to the fact documents have gotten into the hands of many other inmates and they use it to get a lesser sentence and create their own story with it. And he also stated a recent murder case the Commonwealth prosecutor used notes made by the, the person who made the notes against his client in court that another inmate turned over. There was four different jailhouse snitches that said things on Donna for her case that she did not know previously in the real world. And all four of those people ended up with no charges for testing. Or a lesser sentence, right? Oh, they ended up with no charges. All okay. four. Now, so, you actually talked about you became pen pals with Donna Hockman. I did. Now, without getting into any personal information through those conversations, what are those conversations typically about? Well, pretty much, I just told her, you know, that I would do anything that I could to try to make it known about the situation going on. And actually, Donna is such a good person and, and her heart is so pure and right that she wanted me to look into other situations there that were prosecuted by Marsha Garst as well. And that's how I looked into some other cases. She didn't want just her to be able to possibly get free one day, but everyone. We're going to take one more break to help out another podcast. Hey all you pod jerky fans, this is Rosa from the Ripple Podcast. I wanted to take a quick second and tell you about the podcast that I do with my little sister Angela. We tell all kinds of strange and unusual true stories and then the ripples that they create, aka the story after the story. So make sure you check out the Ripple Podcast with Rosa and Angela and we will be sure to tell you the strangest and most unusual stories you've ever heard. We are available on all major podcast platforms. Search for The Ripple Podcast with Rosa and Angela. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks so much for your support. That was Rosa and Angela from the Ripple Podcast. Please subscribe and go have a listen. And that'll bring us into the case of Ivan Talaguz. And he was tried and convicted of hiring someone to kill his ex-girlfriend. And yes. the prosecution's case was basically based on testimony of three witnesses. And two of them actually ended up recanting their testimony. And they admitted that they had lied uh, in exchange for favorable treatment from the government. That is correct. Ivan Telugu's is convicted of the July 23rd, 2001 murder of Stephanie Sipes out of Harrisonburg, Virginia, which was his ex-girlfriend and the mother of his child. 
on his case, police investigator Kevin Whitfield had submitted false affidavits to the court in the affidavit claiming that a witness saw Telugu's leaving from Stephanie Sop's site apartment around the date and time that she was murdered. In her case, there is also a guy that was named Alexei Safanov, which was also an immigrant like Telugu's, that had actually gotten arrested on federal gun charges and he faced deportation because he didn't have a visa. And he's one of the people that actually recanted his statement and that he testified in court. But when it comes time to go in front of the Supreme Court for him to get a new trial, he w- he happened to get uh, deported uh, beyond the reach of the courts to be able to subpoena him. And the guy that actually committed the murder, which was Michael Hedrick, his blood was found on the scene. They knew that they had to tie him to the scene somehow. So the story was made up and they kept threatening Hedrick that if he didn't go along with it, that he would receive the death penalty. He ended up coming up with the story that he ended up telling in court. He's doing life in prison. And the person that helped him in the murder, Edwin Gilks Jr., he's another one that recanted his story. But when it come time for him to go testify in front of the courts for Ivan Telegos to get another trial, he was like a year away from getting released. So he just would, he refused to say anything. He got a 15-year sentence on his charges. And Ivan Telegos is in prison still. But in 2017, there was many statements made by the prosecutor, Marcia Garst. And Edwin Wilkes also testified on some of those things, stating that they were true. Marcia Garst made the statements in court that Ivan Telegos had to receive the death penalty because he was known to have been involved in the Russian mafia and that he also was tied back to another case out of Pennsylvania, which is where Ivan Telegos lived over 200 miles away when Stephanie Sipes got killed. Now, in 2017, the governor overturned Ivan Telegos' conviction and sentenced and give him life without parole. And the governor actually made statements that are you can look up online um, saying that false testimony was used because there was no other murder that's been proven to convict him and give him the death penalty. And if the jurors would have known that, I'm sure he wouldn't have got the death penalty. And not only that, the statement was made that the reason, Marcia Garst made the statement that the reason they must give him the death penalty due to the fact that if he's in prison, he's able to dial up another murder because his answer to problems is to solve them with murder. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting that Marcia Garst would have left out in the Donna Hawkman case that she left out prior cases or prior convictions from Stanley. And in this case, she still brought up the prior convictions that didn't even exist for Ivan Telugu's. Exactly. She just Oh, and, you know, the two men that actually testified, well, one of them, he didn't physically commit the murder, but he was with him, you know, giving them deals. And then Alexei Safanov, yeah, you know, all that he knew, Ivan Telugu's from them previously working on construction site years earlier, but he testified that Ivan Telugu's had told him that he hired both Gilk and Hedrick to commit the murder of Stephanie Sykes for the amount of $2,000. Now, do you know, is there any proof that he had no involvement whatsoever? There is 
actually no proof that he did because the only person, the two recanted his story, the only actual person that didn't say anything is the actual murderer, Brian Hedrick or Michael Hedrick. Okay. Now, why do you think that he became the fall guy then? Because I think because police focus on him, like that was their main focus. They didn't have anybody else. And when the lead investigator had actually lied in an affidavit to the court, that was due to trying to get a DNA sample, which Ivan Telegos cooperated with the police fully. He answered questions. He showed receipts showing he was over 200 plus miles away when it happened and gave alibis. He was at a part, going away party or some kind of party, but none of that helped. I mean, they were, they so, they solely focused on Ivan Telegos from the very beginning and nobody else. Now, does this case also fall into commonwealthcoverup.com or is this separate websites? No, I actually wrote a story on that and it's published on commonwealthcoverup.com. You know, this poor man is actually innocent, totally innocent, didn't do anything. And because of the negligence of the police and the investigation and the prosecutor being corrupt and just trying to, you know, secure high profile case convictions at any by any means. Okay, so we'll get into the next case, which is Tim Wright Jr. And this is actually an interesting case because this is kind of a police force protecting uh, a son of one of their uh, police officers there, and it just turning back to Tim Wright Jr. So do you want to give us an explanation of that case? Sure. Tim Wright Jr. was actually a in the military, and he had went over, did a tour in Iraq, and he had only been home for a couple months when all this, you know, took place. This all took place whenever originally the, what later become his co-defendant, uh, Justin Davis, which is actually a Amherst County deputy son, which is where this all happened in Virginia. And the actual prosecutor there that usually handles those cases, Stephanie Maddox, all of a sudden suspiciously stepped down from the case. And Mark Marsha Gar stepped in and prosecuted it. Justin Davis come in and made a statement which placed him at the scene that supposedly Tim Wright had kidnapped him and stole his handgun and he watched him while driving shoot 19-year-old Justin Bumgardner. Now, Justin Davis's statement has changed six different times, and the fact that he was a deputy, I think, caused a lot of the wrongdoing in this case in the beginning, but he ended up, Justin Davis ended up getting arrested, but only after the community rallied because the Amherst County Sheriff's Department, which Justin Davis's dad worked at, was investigating the case, which is a conflict of interest, and it was a month into things before Virginia State Police ever took over. And the fact that there was a search warrant issued on Timothy Wright property, home, vehicle, all that, and it brought no evidence to support the case whatsoever. But there was never a search warrant issued for Justin Davis's property, home, or car. There was also, by Marcia Garst, used jailhouse snitches. And the jailhouse snitches that were used, James Finney, is one of them he's known as actually a career snitch. He was used by Roanoke Police Department, ATF, the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. I mean, multiple sources that he has been a confidential informant for. And after the conviction on the case was secured, Timothy Wright lawyer found out that James Finney had actually received, because he was in jail for past due child support, had actually received a $500 payment from the state's forfeiture 
future treasury towards his back child support. The other person that snitched, it was proven, and it was even on Timothy Wright's trial. The A second-in-command guard stated that Timothy Wright had confessed to the murder, that he did it. And he did it while at a church service in the jail. The second-in-command at the jail had testified at Timothy Wright trial that in reality he wouldn't they would have never crossed paths because church is set up for the inmate in sections where certain sections go certain days and they were in totally different pods and they would have never crossed paths to be able to go to church together. A Mr. Hudson who testified and was in the Lynchburg jail with Justin Davis which is the Amherst County deputy's son that placed himself on the scene testified that Justin Davis had told him that he killed Justin Bumgardner and framed Timothy Wright Jr. for it. Mr. Hudson also testified that the state police agent came to see him twice to discourage him from testifying. It kept telling him over and over he didn't even have to testify and that if he did testify in anything that was found to be a lie, that he would be prosecuted to the fullest extent and it would be definitely be used against him and Mr. Hudson said it scared him because the link of his sentence was brought up twice and he decided to testify because he did not want to see an innocent person be framed for something they didn't do. Also on Timothy Wright's case, a video expert clearly stated because they used a video from a country market store, convenience store right down the road from where it all happened that the video could not provide whether it was Tim's truck and it couldn't accurately identify the make, the model, the color, the length, the height because Timothy Wright had big tires on his truck and a lift kit and Justin Davis had a regular truck with smaller tires. But it was testified by a video expert that none of that could be used. However, Marcia Garst continued to use that in her case stating other things other than what the video expert stated. But I mean, this is clearly a case of trying to protect the sheriff's son and and not creating a stir within their own department, right? I I believe so. That and just securing convictions to high-profile cases because these all happened really kind of close together. Ivan Telugu's was convicted in 2006, Timothy Wright in 2008, and Donna in, in January 2009. And there's several more. I just have not gotten to getting all the facts of all of them together yet. I mean, there's a common denominator here with Marsha Gars being the prosecutor for all of these cases. And of course, you never want to lose the case. So you're going to go to any extreme that you can in order to win the case, whether or not they think the person is guilty or is not guilty. They still want to win the case. Having losses on your record is not going to look good for you and you'll never get into the high profile cases. I agree with that, but she's been a prosecutor there since 1999. She's been there a while. There's multiple, many, many cases that, that, you know, I just haven't got the chance to get more facts on each one yet. And is this case on CommonwealthCoverUp.com as well? I want to say that I did publish this one on there. If not, then it will be because I do this in between, you know, trying to work and stuff like that. But I plan on actually getting some more stories together and maybe I can be a return guest and speak about Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to talk about Rebecca Neal? This is the the funny one because this one happened in 2008. Rebecca Neal was actually the treasurer at the courthouse and had been for many years. I think I'm not certain on the amount, but I want to say it was 12 or 14 years. And Marcia Garst had said that she stole like 90 some thousand dollars and she charged her, I want to say with 94 felonies and 12 misdemeanors, which was all stealing and fraud. 
fraud, but she ended up giving her an offer of a plea of 10 years suspended sentence just for her to resign, which she did because you know, I'm sure the lady was scared to death. She was facing literally 89 years in prison for the charges because they ended up, she dropped it down to like seven felonies, I think. But what is funny about this case is the fact that eight days, I believe, before the actual indictment of Rebecca Neal, the auditor over for the state of Virginia's auditor who was over auditing everybody had actually wrote to Marsha Garst, which should have been public information, but because Garst didn't sign off on it, it did not become public information until years later. Um, it actually, I want to say in 2014, become public information when Garst signed off on it when someone told her about it, re told Rebecca Neal about it. But in the letter from Richmond, Virginia, from the auditor over the state, it stated to Marsha Garst, there was a, a weak case against Rebecca Neal for what she was prosecuting her for. Basically, that it would not be come out in a conviction. And Marsha Garst, which was supposed to sign off on that document, so it did become public information, did not until Rebecca Neal found out about the document and requested it. And I mean, literally within that time frame, that's when Marsha Garst signed off on it. But she's already convicted felon. She lost her job. You know, her name's been run through the mud. What can you do? I mean, she keeps getting away with these cases over and over and over. And for some reason, nobody ever runs against her. And that's how she keeps winning as the Commonwealth attorney for the state of Virginia. There's other issues that Marsha Garst has done. She had she had a lawsuit against her for going into a university. She wanted pictures they had and they refused to give them to her and she threatened them. And, and it was just her and six deputies that actually showed up. There was nothing signed by a judge for her to be able to do that. And the only other okay. thing I'd like to say about Marsha Garst, there was also a, when someone did run against Marsha Garst for the Commonwealth prosecutor, that is when a big thing, they found people that were actually dead that were registered to vote. And that's all, you know, there's newspaper articles and everything about those issues. Here's my conclusion. After watching a lot of documentaries and reading a lot of articles based on the American justice system, I feel that there are so many cases that are unsolved they're just sitting that they have to have a fall person for the cases to make the sheriff department or prosecutors look good finality is more important than justice if they don't have evidence to convict someone in the trial then it looks bad on them and the public starts to demand answers to why so many cases have gone unsolved prosecutors including marcia garst will do whatever they have to to win their cases and that includes bribery false confessions from informants stuff like that as long as they never get caught what is the common denominator in all of these cases, Marsha Garst. She was the prosecutor in each of these cases. The problem is, is that someone will always talk and the truth will eventually come out. So many people are held in prison based on false testimonies, false scientific evidence, and backhanded tactics. It's a broken system with outdated laws and the powers that be do not want them changed. Do you have any final words for everyone? I just believe that I hope that people realize what's going on and I hope that through social media, which, you know, there is uh, the site commonwealthcoverup.com about how things are, are being handled in Virginia. And I hope maybe one day the right person will step in and stop this and be, be a voice for all of these people because I myself am only one person along with others of their supporters and stuff. But in reality, we need somebody of power like Marsha Garsh use her power 
to convict these people at any means necessary. I agree. Now, can you tell everyone where they can find info for all of these cases? Uh, anything that you are connected to that you can get the information out to them? Sure. Donna Hockman's site is commonwealthcoverup.com. On Facebook, you can find wrongfully convicted by corruption, Donna Hockman. If you wanted to reach out to us to ask questions or get more information other than what I've talked about today, on Donna's case, you can email admin at commonwealthcoverup.com or freedonnahockman at gmail.com. On Ivan Telugu's, there's Justice for Ivan Telugu's on Facebook and brjr.org-ivan-telugu's. And they're involved, which is Virginians for Judicial Reform, is that organization that are trying to help with his case and make it public. Tim Wright, I'm not really sure about any sites for him, but I'm sure if you Google it or something, you if there is, you would be able to find it online. And of course, if you can't get a hold of, of yourself, they can always contact us and I can put them into contact with you as well. Absolutely. I think that's going to do it for this episode. And we want to thank Crystal for joining us today. It was a very informative conversation of what's going on in the American justice system. And although I'm Canadian, these types of things probably still happen here as well. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really want to get the word out to try to help these people get their wrongful convictions overturned and get their freedom back. 100%. Uh, I agree. As always, stay safe, be kind to each other, and we'll see you later. Here we go now! Hot Turkey.